0: Worship uh, His glorious name, and before we do just that, let me give you just one uh, quick uh, announcement. And before I do that, let me introduce myself for those who uh, don't know me. My name is and I'm the pastor here at Sicos Community Church, and uh, it's good to see you all here. And uh, blessings to you also if you're joining us via live stream this morning. Uh, the one quick announcement I have is that downstairs in the fellowship hall, uh, there is a sign-up sheet uh, for the July 11th uh, cookout that is happening at Elliot Bow Basin in Maine. So let tell us two things. One, uh, how many people should we expect if it's just yourself or you and a spouse or you and your family or if you want to uh, bring guests as well, you're welcome to do that. Just give us a number and also let us um, know what you can bring. And so we do ask that you bring something, whether it's a, a side or a dessert or a drink. Uh, uh, sign up for something and the church will uh, take care of the, uh, the main the main course. So. That is the only announcement I have. Let's go to the Lord and let's uh, worship Him this morning.
1: Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand and worship this morning. Uh, we'll start us off with our call to worship. And uh, it'll be out of Psalm 20, uh, verses 6 through 8. It says, Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He will answer Him from His holy heaven with the saving might of His right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Amen. Amen. Church, let's, let's go into worship this morning.
2: darkness new every more our sins they are many is a mercy is a more our sins they are many is a mercy is more my mind to calvary where jesus fled and died for me i see his wounds his hands his feet my savior on that cursed tree his body bound. Trenched in tears They laid him down In Joseph's tomb The entrance sealed By heavy stone Messiah's cell And all alone Sing praise Speak, O Lord. And speak, O Lord, as we come to you To receive the food of your holy word And take your truth, plant it deep in us Shape and fast True.
1: you this morning with songs of praise lord as we just sang speak O lord and renew our minds help us grasp the heights of your plans for us father i i pray now that as we go into your word uh, that you may speak lord speak to your children speak to your church may we be encouraged today lord now, as we sit under Your word, and we be edified, Lord, may we continue in that worship. Lead us, Father, in Jesus' name. I pray, Amen. Church, you may be seated. Amen.
0: Amen. Let me read to us from Joshua chapter one, verse eight, and then we'll transition to a time of prayer. Joshua one eight says. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Father, you are the divine author of your holy and inspired word. Therefore, when we come to your scriptures, when we come to your word, we do not read the thoughts or the opinions of man, not even the thoughts of a God-fearing man, but we read your very words. Your word, because it is written by you, is therefore authoritative over our lives. Not only that, but because you are the divine author, that means that your word is living and active, and through your word, you impart to us life, you even cause us to be born again, and you renew us as we set our minds to understanding it. And Father, we come before you this morning, and we confess to you that we are not always careful to do according to all that you have written for us in your divine and inspired word. We ask, God, that you may forgive us of our trespasses, forgive us of our sins. And the reason that we oftentimes fail to live according to your word is because we fail to meditate upon your word. So we pray and ask this morning that you would help us to set our minds on your scriptures so that we may live according to what has been written for us. Lord, as we continue to to pray for our church this morning. We pray specifically for the Labantes, And you tell us in your word that you generously give wisdom to those who ask. And they are asking for wisdom as they raise their daughter. Lord, give them wisdom from above. Help them to train her in instruction and in the fear of the Lord so that she may one day also be wise unto salvation. We pray also for... Our brother, Gerald Mackerman, Lord, we pray for his boys who are serving in the military. We pray and ask that you would protect them and keep them safe. We ask, Lord, that you would help our brother to put his mind to your word for his life and godliness. Father, we pray for those who are experiencing trials of various kinds. Lord, remind your people of the holy promises that are contained in your word. Help them to set their minds on sacred truth. We pray that you would guard their hearts and their minds with peace that comes from above. God, we pray this morning also for our brother Aaron Stevens, and we pray that you would direct his steps in such a way that brings honor and glory to you, that could only come from meditating upon the word of God. Lord, we pray that you would guide him as he considers and pursues a life of missions. We pray that you would enlarge his heart for the lost and increase his love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, give him success in his studies and that his learning would result in greater love for the Lord Jesus. We pray also for the saints who meet at New Life Baptist Church. We pray, God, that they would saturate saturate their minds with the word of God, Help them to comprehend the wonderful truths that are taught in your word and that they might display a joy that comes from knowing you. Lord Jesus, we pray for our country. We ask, Lord, that there would be a softness of hearts and openness for to have conversations, to have dialogues about the Lord, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's on campus, universities, whether it's in the public square. We pray that there may be an interest in the things of God. We pray that your church would be given the boldness to continue to preach the gospel. God, we pray that there would be a great awakening. We pray that many people would come and be drawn to the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ and that many people would be saved to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lastly, we pray for all those who work in the areas of administration and customer service god we pray that you might equip your people with every good work in christ jesus and that you may be gracious and prosper the work of their hands as they do their work lord give them favor we pray that you would give them patience and peace and we pray that their minds would not be distant from you as they perform their work lord we trust you for all of these things And we look forward to all that you are going to do. And we pray now, Lord, the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray in the scriptures. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. It's our passage this morning. We'll be looking at, actually, several different passages As many of you know, we've been working through the book of Philippians and coming to the conclusion of Philippians, but this morning we're taking kind of an aside on a particular topic, which I draw from the book of Philippians. But to kind of get us started, I want to read from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your act of spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Father, There may be some or perhaps many of us who come this morning with minds that are distracted. Many of us may come this morning with our thoughts on other matters, perhaps important matters, perhaps matters that may not be that important. The minds of some may be set perhaps on unprofitable things. Things that your word commands us to not set our minds on, Lord, we pray and ask this morning that just as we sang earlier that you would renew our minds and that you would do it according to your word. Help us to set your mind our minds upon your word this morning, Lord and I. I am praying and I am trusting that you would use, that you will use your word to help us to do what this passage in Romans calls us to do, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We trust you, Lord, for these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Abraham Lincoln once said, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the, four, the first four hours sharpening the axe. It's the idea that execution is only a small part of the actual work. There's a lot of things that have to happen before the execution of any plan. There's a lot of thinking, there's a lot of planning, right? There's a lot of wasted effort, perhaps. Not perhaps, but surely there's a lot of wasted effort in cutting down a tree with a dull axe. than there would be if you had spent hours upon hours sharpening the axe to chop down the tree. Many of the sharpest minds that have ever existed are those minds that have spent countless upon countless hours, not in the execution of a plan, not in the writing, not in the composition, not in the inventing, but actually in the thinking. Ephesians 4 tells us that the great aim of the Christian is to reach the stature of the fullness of Christ. So our aim is, is maturity. And there is no reaching of a Christian, no, there's no reaching of the stature of the fullness of Christ without thinking. Without the Christian giving himself or herself to the hard task of thinking and meditating on the things of God. The Christian life isn't just about doing or proclaiming or resisting or abstaining, but it is very much concerned with the thinking. And so. We've been working through the letter of Paul to the Philippians. Maybe you've noticed or not, but in the letter, there is actually sort of a, a theme on the mind. Where there's a mentioning of knowledge in the sermons, one of the prayers in the book of Philippians. There's the command for us to have the same mind. We're called to have the mind of Christ. Last week we took a look at the passage in Romans chapter or Philippians chapter four. We are called to think about whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise. And we are commanded to think on these things. And there's other passages, there's other references in the in the letter of Philippians that concerns the mind. And so today we're sort of taking an aside or in a, kind of an excursus on the centrality of the mind in the Christian life. And so after three, Three points as we think about the centrality of the mind. One is the renewal of the mind. The second, what is my second point? It's a very good question. The second point is the divine illumination. And then the last point is dealing with the end or the object of thinking. So then, to begin with, we're focusing on the, on the letter of Paul to the Romans and we read Romans 12, 1 through 2, but to really understand the significance of Romans 12, 1 through 2, you have to go back all the way to Romans chapter 1, where we first see a reference, a reference to the mind. It tells us in Romans 1, 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them, that is plain to all humankind, because God has shown it to them. and animals and creeping things so romans chapter one speaks to the depravity of all humankind the depravity of actually the human mind and if you continue to read romans chapter one to the end of the chapter it tells us that god continues to give up man to certain things that he gives up man to dishonorable passions That gives up man to the lust of their hearts to impurity. That God gives up man to a debased mind. That that there's this, this handing over of man over to greater and greater sin. And why is that? And the answer is in Romans 1, 19 to 23. It tells us in Romans 1, verse 18, that man suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. that man is not necessarily blind to the reality of God. That it tells us that, the, that God, the existence of God, is evident in all of creation. You just simply need to look outside. You simply need to just ex- to feel the wind on your skin. You need to just see the trees, the, the sun, everything in all creation. All of these things are intended to point to the reality, to the existence of God. The problem is not that man cannot see. The problem is that they do not want to. This is akin to the rejection of the Messiah by the Pharisees. In John five thirty nine, Jesus tells the religious teachers that you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. But the reason why God hands man over to greater and greater sin is because in his mind, he has not accepted the reality of God. It is a willful, intellectual, cerebral rejection of God that then leads to a dishonorable living. And then we come to Romans chapter 12, where it tells us, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your act of spiritual worship. It tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Romans 1, 19 to 23 tells us why the renewal of the mind is necessary. And that this renewal of the mind comes through understanding the mercies of God. And Romans is, is full of the mercies of God, namely, principally in the mercy of God that is, seen, that is shown in the gospel of Jesus Christ, where the God, the Son, came into the world to die on the cross for sinners, so that anyone who believes in Jesus may be spared of the judgment and wrath of God, may be forgiven, may, be received, may receive grace and mercy, may receive eternal life, and that anyone who places their faith upon Jesus is actually doing the rational and wise thing by entrusting their life to Jesus Christ and accepting and living in the reality reality of the presence of God. Not only that, but there's other mercies of the gospel that we read in the letter of Romans. Where there's justification, there's our union with Christ, where we are then dead to sin and alive to God, alive to Christ, alive in the Spirit, where we receive redemption of our bodies, it tells us. We receive eternal life. We receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. All of these things and more are are intended to communicate to us that these are the divine mercies of God, and this functions as an appeal for you and I to no longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may present our lives as a sacrificial offering to God that is pleasing to him. Romans 4, we have the example of Abraham. And in his life, we see this intellectual commitment to continue to follow the Lord. It tells us that in hope, against hope, he believed in the promises of God. Right? Against what's rational or logical, right? He was promised a son, and yet he's 100 years old. Not only that, but his wife is well beyond the past, the beyond past the, the age of childbearing. And not only that, but she's also barren. And God continues to promise and promise, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. And he believes against all hope. He continues to believe. He commits to trusting in the promise of God. And he wasn't disappointed. The mercies of God cannot be accepted until they are first understood. Not that you have to understand them completely, but you have to understand them to some degree. And when you know and understand the mercies of God and think on them, that results in a transformation of the mind that leads to the right kind of living, the kind of living that the Lord commences to live. So this transformation happens through the mind. In First 1 Peter 1.14, it tells us, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But there's a kind of ignorance that, that we cannot help because we don't have all the information, maybe because information is withheld from us, but it's not the kind of ignorance that Peter is talking about. This is a willful kind of ignorance. This is the kind of ignorance that comes from rejecting God. And the command is not to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. Right? That is not you anymore. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been your mind has been transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and now called unto a life of obedience unto God because of the gospel. To so res- resist confirmation or conforming to the world, and we seek transformation to the renewing of the mind. And the renewed mind, or the, might say the regenerate mind, is a mind that not only accepts the existence of God, but also embraces the existence of God. The renewed mind is not only a mind that understands or knows the gospel, but also embraces the gospel and loves the gospel of Jesus Christ. The renewed mind is a mind that is set on following the pattern of Jesus Christ, of living a pattern of holiness. Not perfect righteousness, but a pattern of holiness. It is a mind set on glorifying God. And I will say to God, God, here is my life. I am presenting my life to you as a sacrificial offering. My life is yours. And I aim to use my life in order to please you and to glorify you. Say you have somebody that you see on a regular basis, whether it's somebody at work, maybe a family member or a neighbor, and say that somebody you tend to avoid, maybe because they sort of have have a cold personality, maybe they tend to be mean perhaps, so you and others kind of tend to avoid that person because you don't really want to interact with that person. But let's say that you found out something about that person. Maybe somebody shares something with you. Maybe they share that, that. this person actually used to be a pretty cordial and pretty warm person until they experienced this particular tragedy and they changed this person. Right, with that information, you might actually think very differently about that person now. You might, your interactions with that person might even change. You might even actually go so far as to, maybe try to befriend that person because you have this knowledge about that person that you didn't have before. This is what the gospel does for us. When we know the gospel, we understand the gospel, we embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes everything. Our very lives change. We think differently about God. We think differently about the world. We think differently about one another. Gospel is a matter of the heart, and a matter of the faith, and a matter of the intellect. Right? Because if you have it, if you have it all here, but you don't have it here in your heart, then you don't have it. But the intellect, the cerebral, the understanding does matter. The mind does matter. So that we are commanded to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and this renewing of the mind is not something to, which just happens to us once when we believe in the gospel. But this renewing of the mind is something that continually happens. That's the idea there in Romans twelve one through two that there is a continual transformation that comes through the renewing of the mind, and that renewing of the mind comes from the mercies of God, and the mercies of God come to us are taught to us in the scriptures. So then, the renewing of the mind is absolutely essential for the Christian life. And then second, we're dependent upon divine illumination. We see this in 2 Timothy, verses 3 to 7. It says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Question. So we have three illustrations here. One of a soldier, one of an athlete, and one of a hard-working farmer. And the question is, well, what do these have to do with one another? What's the idea here? What's the connection? Another good question is, Why is this written? Why did Paul write this? The soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. The soldier, as long as he's wearing the uniform of a soldier, his mind is set on performing the duties and responsibilities of a soldier. He cannot afford to entangle himself in civilian pursuits or live as if he was living as a civilian in the world because it might get him killed. Or it might even get others killed. And his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The athlete who's running the race, he must run well and he must run fairly without cheating otherwise. Even if he runs the race to the very end, and even if he should run and be the first one through the finish line, he's not going to get the prize because he cheated but he sets his mind on running the race faithfully without the distractions, without avoiding the temptations to to teach. The hardworking farmer sets his mind on working the ground so that he may have produce, that he may provide for himself, so that he may have something to eat. But the idea here is that each of these are focusing on their responsibilities and they're giving it their all without being distracted. They're totally invested in their particular endeavors. Now, there is no way of figuring out the meaning or the connection of these illustrations without thinking. Notice that here in the passage and in many other places, maybe you've noticed this as as well, but the Bible doesn't always give us the answer. Sometimes we wish, okay, what does this mean? Lord, what is, what is this? How am I supposed to make sense of this? And so that we can think. The problem that we have with thinking is that it is work. Right? We generally don't like to work. And thinking requires effort. Right? When we're at work, we're at work even if we may not dis- necessarily want to work. But when we're not at work, and perhaps we're at home, we generally don't really want to work, and thinking is work. Another problem we have with thinking is that we are accustomed to instant gratification. Right? We want what we want, we want it now, and when we have to think about something, it means that the answer isn't immediately there. But we want the answer, we want it now, Another problem we have with thinking is that we get distracted, right? You and I, we are distracted very easily. We think of something and then we immediately start thinking about something else. Another problem I think that we have with thinking is that we don't care enough to spend the time thinking. We just don't care enough, especially when it's concerning things that deserve our attention, such as the Scriptures. See, we have a tendency to read our Bibles like we watch television. And it's passively. We want to be entertained. We watch television because we don't really want to think. And we have a tendency to read our Bibles in the same manner. When we should actually be slowing down and thinking hard about the passage that we are reading. And if you slow down, you would... You would realize wonderful and amazing things in the scriptures because the scriptures right i mean you know this from experience you know this from reading the scriptures that the scriptures are full of wonderful and meaningful and impactful truths philippians chapter one we've gone through the book of philippians we've gone through chapter one philippians 1 22 a passage that's familiar to all of us where it says for to me to live is christ and to die is gain if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Who in the world talks like that? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain? That man seems to be wrestling whether or not he wants to continue to live or he wants to depart and be with Christ. I mean, who, who talks like that? And if you thought about it, you'd realize that the person who speaks that way is some who is somebody who loves the Lord Jesus. Ephesians 1.4, in love he, that is God, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. I mean, just that sentence is pregnant with amazing, amazing truth. If you just did a simple Bible study or word study on the word Destined, or predestined or de predestination you will discover that that refers to God electing you before the foundations of the world and the fact that it says in love means that you it was not because of anything that you did or anything that you did not do but it was because of God's love chosen to be adopted as a son or daughter of God according to the purpose of his will. That is an amazing, amazing truth. That is an amazing sentence. And you would be filled with joy if you just simply took 60 seconds just to think about that sentence. Here's a difficult, interesting passage. Exodus 4.21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. That's interesting. First, if you've read through Exodus, if you've read the first three chapters, then you know that Moses had a, had a meeting with God, and God commands or commissions Moses to go down to Egypt, to go to Pharaoh and to compel him to let God's people go. And we see here that God gives power to Moses to perform signs, to perform certain miracles to, in order to compel Pharaoh to let God's people go, and yet at the same time, God says, I'm going to harden his heart so he won't let the people go. (laughs) So it, it, it sounds like Moses is put on a mission that is destined for failure. It's like, what do you think about that? And if that's not perplexing, verse 24 of Exodus 4, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him, met Moses, and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and caught off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. What in the world does that mean? Why was Zipporah so angry with her husband? And God just commissioned Moses to go to Egypt. I've given you signs. Do these things. Compel pharaoh to let my people go and then in the next moment god is looking to kill moses what is going on if we were working through exodus and we would go there we would explain we'd try to figure out what this means but we're not going through exodus and we don't have that time for it so your job is to go back and think about it john 20 29 jesus says to thomas have you believed because you have seen me blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Okay, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Got it? Luke 10 23, however, then turning to the disciples, he said privace, privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. So, which is it? Is it, are, is it who is blessed? The one who doesn't see and believes? Or is it the one who sees and believes? It sounds like Jesus is speaking out of two sides of his mouth. Is Jesus delusional or something? No, your job in mind is to think about it and to figure out how does the scripture hold these two things together. I think one of the purposes or one of the reasons why we have difficult passages in the Bible is to get us to slow down and to think. We've talked about the problem that we have with thinking; that thinking is work. And other reasons, but there are other things that impede us from thinking as well. And, there, and these are, as Christians, right? And really, to to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to affirm certain truths, such as that God is the author of the Bible. But even when we affirm and believe that truth, which we should. Sometimes that actually prevents us, or we allow that to prevent us from really thinking hard about the Bible. Well, God is the author of the Bible. So I don't really have to really question it. Let me just move on. And because God is the author of the Bible, well, God has written his word for a reason, for a specific purpose. And so even though I don't understand this particular passage, I don't understand why God sought to kill Moses. I don't understand why his wife, Moses' wife, was trying to kill her. But. God wrote it for a reason, and I just need to understand that, and I can just move on. Or that God's ways are mysterious. This passage is very mysterious. And there are some things I am not called to comprehend. Maybe this is one of them, so let me just move on. Or we are fallible creatures with limited understanding. God God understands all things. And so this may be something I'm not called to understand. And therefore, there is no reason to think about the passage. But, 2 Timothy 2 tells us in verse 7, Think over what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. In other words, You're not going to understand until you first think. You have to think, and then the Lord will give you understanding in everything. That's how you receive divine illumination. You have to think about the passage, understand it, wrestle with it. Set our minds to understanding the Word of God. My favorite words in all of the Bible It's not Jesus, it's not God, it's not mercy, it's not forgiveness, it's not eternal life. And before you think that the pastor is unregenerate and unbeliever, that's not the case. I love those words. Those are very important words, but they're not my favorite words. My favorite words are the prepositions and the conjunctions. It's the therefore, it's the for, it's because, it's and, it's but, it's yet, it's so that. Because it is those words that help us to understand What the passage means, it helps us to understand how this one passage relates to the other or how that one relates to the one that comes after it. In this case, four gives us the reason why we should think over the words of the Bible. Think over what I say because, here's the promise, the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And what kind of understanding it's not a religious or Pharisaical kind of understanding to know it all but has no place in the heart. It's an affectional understanding, not affectional, but affectional understanding. It's the kind of understanding that shapes and molds your affections, the inclinations of your hearts, the tendencies, the habits, your loves. An affectional understanding. Is horizontally directed and vertically directed. An affectional understanding of the word of God gives you a greater love for God and love for others. It doesn't mean that we never go to other outside resources like Bible studies or study Bibles or commentaries or perhaps looking at a sermon to help you understand a particular passage those are helpful, those are profitable, you can certainly, you should consult those things, but not as an excuse to not think. And even when you find the answers, you should still think. Think about what it means. Think about what it means for your life. Think about how it should affect you. The point is, we do not understand because we do not think. But we must think, and then the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So then, lastly, Matthew twenty two thirty seven to thirty nine tells us the end, or the object, or the ultimate goal of thinking. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus says you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the command is to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. This is a cerebral commitment to love the Lord Jesus. It's a command. It concerns the will. The will is the engine of the intellect. You shall love the Lord your God. You will love the Lord your God. Using all your intellectual capacities to love the Lord your God. It's a conscious decision. It's a conscious effort to love God. Now the passage right concerns the entirety of the person's being. The heart, soul, mind. It it, it means that all of you, the entirety of who you are must be given to love the Lord your God. The heart, soul, and mind, they all feed into each other. There is no way that we can love the Lord Jesus without first understanding some some things about the Lord Jesus. The way to the heart is through the mind. And when you affect the heart through the mind, it leads to a right living, a life that is transformed by the renewing of the mind a life that desires to present one's life to God as a pleasing sacrifice to God. So love the Lord your God with all of your mind. That tells us that the end or the object of thinking is not thinking itself. We don't think about the scriptures. We don't think about the mercies of God. We don't think about the Bible. We don't think about the gospel. Just to think and we don't do it in order to increase our knowledge for knowledge's sake. The reason why we ought to give our minds to the Lord Jesus is so that we may love the Lord Jesus. So that we may increase our love for the Lord Jesus. That is the object of thinking. For love. that we may understand and love God, to raise our affections for the Lord Jesus, to shape our hearts, to incline us more towards the Lord. And it is also so that we may love others. Only when we love God can we love others as we are commanded to do. But the love of God comes first through committing our heart our soul and our minds to loving god those who love god most are those who think about god most so then if we wish if we desire that our minds would be central in our christian walk here are some things for you to think about One is to live a pattern of holiness. Romans chapter 1 essentially telling us that sin is against reason. Because what is reasonable is the existence of God. What is reasonable is living according to the commands of God. And so sin, or to live a life absent of faith in God, is against reason. And as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, right, living in sin actually dulls the mind. But we have to keep our intellectual capacities sharp by continuing to live a pattern of holiness and righteousness. Because when we don't, right, that affects every other area of our life. We become uncaring, unfeeling. Towards the great mercies of God that we read in the scriptures. And we don't desire to think about them. And so live in a manner that is consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is one way that you keep your mind sharp to the things of God. Another one is slow down. Slow down when you are reading the scriptures, don't read it in a hurry. Don't read it like you're watching television, but slow down. Now, some of you might think, you know, when you were talking about grammar, you're talking about prepositions and conjunctions and fors and buts, you might say to yourself, honestly, I don't have a very good grasp of grammar. So I'm not sure I can see the things that you see in the scriptures, but I don't think that's actually true. You don't have to have a PhD in, in literature or in grammar. You don't have to have all that knowledge. I had a poor education growing up. Honestly, I didn't. What taught me most about grammar is reading and studying my Bible. I was a better teacher, to be quite honest, than my English teachers growing up. Begin by by reading the scriptures, and slowing down, and asking questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions from the scriptures. It's not. When you're asking questions, it's not showing that you are doubting God or what he's written. You're just seeking understanding. When you're reading the scriptures, commit to taking something away, whether it's a word, whether it's a phrase, whether it's a sentence. Take something with you to think about throughout your day. One of the pleasures I have in reading, whether it's the Scriptures or anything else, is, the, is that just a single word or a phrase or a sentence can absolutely change everything. It can change your mind about how you think about something. It can change how you do things. And how much more the Word of God, when you take something away, when you commit to just taking something from a particular section or paragraph, And thinking on it, that actually can have a transformative effect in your life. You can learn something that you may not be able to ever unlearn for your entire life. Let me just think. The Protestant Reformation, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses, right, and started this this confrontation with the false teaching of the Catholic Church, it was all started because of a single sentence. Maybe even two, I mean Romans 16, 116, and 17. But it's essentially, it was verse 17. And even that, it was one word. It was the word righteousness. One word. In a sense, changed the entire world. And this is what we miss out when we don't set our minds on the scriptures, when we don't think about the scriptures, when we don't slow down. And try to understand. We are missing out on a means of grace. We are missing out on something that could have a transformative effect. That will have a transformative effect. If you allow it to. One last one is. Think with others. Think in the context of community. Don't think to yourself that as you study the scriptures. That you have to do it alone. Right? You can. Ask questions with other Christians. That is part of the reason why we have women's and men's Bible studies, part of the reason why we have community groups, in order that we may think about the Scriptures together. And in that way, we learn and are gradually transformed by the renewing of the mind. The difference between the mind of the Christian and the mind of any other person is is that the Christian mind is transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that kind of mind that is transformed by the gospel, it gives itself to thinking, not as an end in itself, not with even the end of man in mind, not with anything else but the love of God. We want to be thinking Christians. We want to be Christians who meditate on the word of God, who seek this transformation of our lives, ultimately because we want to love the Lord our God as much as we possibly can and increase our capacity to love the Lord God. And only when we love God first can we then love others properly. And that comes from loving the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your mind. Amen, let's pray. Lord, we pray that that our minds would be held captive by the Word of God, that no matter what we are doing day in and day out, no matter what may occupy our minds, that our thoughts, that our minds would not be distant from you. Lord, and if there are any here who feel as though their minds are just so far removed from God, I pray that you would draw them near this morning. Draw their hearts, their minds near to you, O Lord. May our time together be a means of grace to us all. A means by which we reset our minds to the things of God, to the things of the scriptures. Help us to set our mind on your word. Psalm 1 tells us that the blessed man or woman of God is the one who meditates upon the Lord day and night. Help us to do just that, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Church, uh, as a response to today's message, let us stand and worship. One more time as a body. On to the Lord. Let's stand and worship. This last song is called When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. It's a beautiful old hymn. Let's sing it on to the Lord. Father, you deserve all of our praise. And today we've, we've sung songs to you, Father. We've we've heard your word. Father, we need you. And as a church, as we congregate, as we get together, Father, I, I pray that you may help us, Lord, lead us uh, to a greater understanding of your word. Help us, Lord, to think through these things and help us to ask, Lord, um, if we don't know Lord. um, And in all these things, Father, we as a church desire and want to honor you in these ways. So I ask you, Lord, that you may just do that. In Jesus' name, amen. In today's benediction, uh, we, we heard it a few times today's sermon uh, maybe we encourage by it's Matthew 22 it's verse uh, 37 to 39 and he said to him Jesus speaking you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind this is the great first commandment and the second like is like You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Church, God bless you. You You're dismissed.